It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday show. I am your host, Mo Stewart, this week. Neil is off doing a million and one other things, as is his want. But we have got a packed show and a very, very good room for you. I've got Luke Davis alongside me to give us an Everton side. I've got Josh here producing and doing his role as a talker. And somewhere over there on the laptop that I can't quite see from here, there's Adam Smith. Uh, I'm sure you'll be hearing plenty from him over the course of this show. Now, we aren't doing things in the typical... Um, uh, well, I do try to do things in a chronological order, but I think we can all agree that Liverpool versus Manchester United is always the big match of the weekend, whatever weekend it's happening in. So let's tackle it first. And before we get our teeth into it, here is Tezza Simicola to pick his way through the saga that is Manchester United Football Club. I'm joined by Tezza Simicola to look ahead to Liverpool Manchester United the weekend. We've got a very, uh, very sort of chilled preview here. It's just me and Tezza in the studio. We've got a green tea each, which feels like a, a, a cosmopolitan way of doing the, the the rivalry that is Liverpool versus Manchester United. But Tezza, we'll we'll sort of talk about United and uh, and the current situation first. We were talking, you know, a little bit there off air and and sort of you know acknowledging the the, the way the situation's been been going at United. And it is it is strange, really, isn't it? Because you know, broadly speaking, at United, things things are bad, and, and you know that's it, it. Sort of goes without saying, really. United are, are, are one of the the sort of I guess, if if you want to go as far as laughing stocks of the Premier League. But then the, the the mad thing for me is, you're sat in sixth, you're three points behind Spurs, who you know they won the title in October, as yeah. as everyone keeps saying. Um, <laughs> It's almost not necessarily the worst position to be in, while also maybe being a little bit of a, a false position. Is that fair? Yeah, I think I think the biggest issue is that with Manchester United and how the results of their season has has gone, they've kind of they only win or lose. We don't draw any games, and that's kind of given us this false position of even though we've lost fifty percent of the games we've played, we're all still within touching distance of being in a positive position and. And I think if you look at it from a purely points position or, for example, if they play and beat Bayern Munich and go through tonight, it will still look kind of positive. But looking at it from a, kind of like a supporter's point of view, I think it's been disappointing based on last season. Um, I know last season it was difficult with 
you know, it was Ten Hag's first season. He had to come in and try and bring his own players. He tried to adapt how the team played. He quickly went against that and just kind of shut up shop and was more pragmatic, especially having De Gea in goal from last season. And I think that's kind of, it gave us, gave us fans optimism for the next season, being the season that, you know, the manager will come in, new ideas, he'll sign a few more of his own type of players and he'll evolve or develop the playing style as well as trying to still get similar results. And I think the results have gone backwards, but what's even been more alarming is the way the team has played. I think it's been very kind of haphazard. Um, I know injuries haven't helped. I don't think maybe barring maybe the last couple of weeks the manager's been able to put out a consistent team, but I think every two, three games there's been two or three players he's had to change, which if you compare that to last season, like I could tell you United's kind of preferred 11 or maybe 10 out of the 11, um, depending on whether like Martial or Sancho were, were involved. And then this season, it's just been very topsy-turvy. So, yeah, it's 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 one of those situations where it's bad, but it's not terrible. Yeah, yeah. and, and the, the, there almost is some sympathy, isn't there? Because, you know, you you spoke there about, about the way that the injuries have gone, and that's where I think you do have to have a, sort of a little bit of sympathy with United's situation. But, like, I, I remember being on shows in the summer saying that I just don't think United have done enough to, to, to improve that squad in, in, in the way it was over the summer. And that, that I guess, was, you know, not necessarily a worry for, for, for me as, as a Liverpool fan, but it was what I was worried for, for, like, my United's port mates and stuff, was that, you know, you go into the season and suddenly all these, all these lads who you've, you know, effectively bombed out of the first 11 because they didn't fit the Ten Hag style or they didn't fit the sort of way you wanted Manchester United to play football they're all now you know they, they were still on the fringes then but now they're, they're you know right back in, in the midst of the setup. Yeah and I think I think Ten Hag's kind of stumbled upon that obviously Varane this season has been a lot more inconsistent with his game time so that allowed Maguire to come back in and the managers previously said that he only likes Maguire to play from the right side because he's awkward playing from the left hand side even though the majority of the career, of Maguire's career has played on the left-hand side, as in left-sided centre-back. I do agree with the manager on that point, but what I don't then agree on is if said, say, Lindelof and Evans aren't fit, or those are the other options to partner him, why you can't then play Varane? Like, I think, you know, obviously behind the scenes something must have happened um, because he's, he hasn't been injured for the past four or five weeks since that City derby game where... Evan started and Varane was on the bench. He's routinely been on the bench, so that shows that it's more than just tactical. Um, in terms of the manager not bringing in the players needed, again, that's more of a structural problem at yeah. United. Uh, for season in, season out, we've, as a club institution, given the power to whoever's in charge to try and bring in their type of player rather than having a bit more of a holistic approach to these are the players we need, these are the profiles we need, how can we best find the players suited. I think recently Ten Hag came out and was talking about um, Mason Mountain, how him being um, one of the most attractive under 25-year-old English midfielders in the Prem was a great opportunity to sign. And that just shows that there's no kind of st strategic thinking. It was just like, oh, Mount's available and we can get him for probably half the price that Chelsea would normally sell him for. Let's just get him. And I think that just shows in how the team has been playing. It's been a bit of oh, that play is not fit, but we'll throw this one in and it works. Uh, case point being McTominay, him starting, I think every single game since he's came, come back into the team, more or less. I mean, since that Brentford 
game where he scored two off the bench, I don't think he hasn't started it, that he hasn't been available for. I think he started every single one for someone who in the first three, four games in the season didn't even see the pitch and he was meant to supposedly go to West Ham or Newcastle and now he's a key player. I think it just shows that, yeah, the planning and the way Man United wanted to play has just been thrown out the window. And we'll come back to McTominay because I do want to sort of touch on him because I think his, 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 almost his, his role or, or his stature within this United team is, is, is particularly interesting, to be honest. But I, I'm just interested to ask you, like, how much of this do you think does fall to the manager? Because it's pretty clear that you know, the, the, the structural issues, as you said, and, and the sort of ownership issues, all these things have been, have been such a factor at, at United now for, for, for so, so many years. But they get they get to a point where like you know you, you look at the players that Ten Hag has been able to to bring in throughout his tenure and you know maybe it doesn't tell a whole story when you just sort of see a list of them on 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 Twitter or whatever but you know the, the manager has been effectively backed in, in in the transfer market whether it's sort of backed in in in, in the way like you say with the, with the, with a the proper strategy there behind it you know whether he needs a proper director of football to sort of oversee more of that but you know ultimately the manager has got in a lot of his own players there and like you said tactically at times that like united have been just so so head scratching to watch yeah i think sometimes i don't really blame the manager per se because he's coming in from an environment an ajax where there is a structure, there is a director of football, there's a technical director. The, the Ajax have a way of playing. And he kind of mentioned that, I think, which some fans and media personalities took in the wrong way, that I can't play the Ajax way at Manchester United. And some people were like, well, what's the point? And he, Ten Hag wasn't really saying that he can't play the Ajax way, as in that is the only way to play football. It was more of a case of Manchester United for years have played in a certain way. And the players who are already here know how to play in that way. I need to just adapt that with my own kind of principles and understandings of how I would like this team to evolve. And I think there's been a confusion because when Ten Hag hasn't got his um, preferred first 11, those tactics go out the window because realistically, from a personal point of view, watching Man United this season, I think the reason why was. United are so inconsistent is because I think the tactics are actually too complicated for the players at the club. I think this kind of Manchester United iteration was similar to not the first Ten Hag team that kind of played Tottenham. The, the one after that when, you know, had Edson Alvarez, uh, Frankie had gone, but they're still blind and a few other players. Uh, it was a little bit more direct and they were they were building up with the three and then the one in front. And I think you can do that in Eredivisie because you're the best team, you have the best players, 70% possession. United don't have their, those players who have the same kind of mentality to like, let's keep the ball and let's be fluid in rotations. It's under Solskjaer, under Jose. Solskjaer a little bit more because there was a bit more freedom, but under those two managers, it was more, let's sit back, let's counter, let's get transitions. And even last season, it was a part of that. So for him to try and go 360, without really bringing in those type of players. I think he's probably overestimated the abilities. And especially when you don't have your first 11, the the way we're playing is very, very gung-ho, I would say. I think it's it's too ambitious. You, Whoever plays as the six this season has looked really isolated. They've always looked like, oh yeah, they've, got, they've had a good 50, 60 minutes and then there's a moment of madness where we can see three goals. And that's a team structural issue. And I, I think Ten Hag... Sh- 
probably, I think what he's trying to do now is double down and say, no, this is how I want to play. We're going to keep doing it. And then I'll get my players and they'll get better. The issue is he might be kind of playing himself out, out of job, out of a job or by the time that time comes, the team and the morale and like kind of the new ownership, if that kind of is finalised, they might just say, no, we're getting a new manager. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a lose-lose for him at the moment. And this, this is sort of the worry, isn't it, I guess, is that, you know, there's a few players there who are clearly sort of, I mean, I'd go as far as to say poison, probably from from the way things have, have gone for them at Manchester United now. Like Harry Maguire is, is the one that I always sort of think back to, like the like the fact that you're seeing Maguire back in the team now. And it's where I think it is dead interesting that you talk about, you know, the tactics maybe being overcomplicated because it was pretty clear from when Ten Hag came in that, you know, he didn't trust Maguire as, as a starting centre-half to, to, to get what he needed to out of him. Suddenly he's, he's back in the team now. And, and you know, with, with someone like McTominay who, who is playing so well I just wonder whether there's almost a factor to it like McTominay is not the most talented footballer in that in that United team like that I think that's pretty clear he's not the most technically gifted footballer yeah. in that United team the one thing I think he does give you which maybe you know I mean definitely a couple of others aren't but maybe on the whole most of them aren't is is you know, wanting to sort of meet that bar, like wanting, wanting to show like I, like I am a good enough player to, to be a, a part of this team, you know, longer term, even though he is sort of, you know, almost one of the, one of the veteran players now. Um, but he wants to work hard to make sure that, you know, even, no matter how complicated things are, he's got a role in this team. Yeah, no, yeah, I agree with that point. I think that's probably why managers rely on him because he goes through spells where he's not playing regularly and then as soon as he's picked, you don't really see this kind of thing of, I'm McTominay, I should be playing. It's a kind of, almost like an understanding from his point of view of like, oh, and I don't mean this in a rude way, like he's privileged to be at Man United because if, realistically, if he didn't come through at United, he probably would be, I don't know, mid-table, an Everton kind of level um, player. And he'd probably be a very good player for them because the way he plays suits that kind of club and that, that kind of football. Whereas at Manchester United, you're coming from the standards of Scholes, Veron, Keane, Beckham, Giggs, whoever, Anderson, Nanny Park, etc. So players like McTominay under Alex Ferguson would be third, fourth choice and they'll come in for a big game. And because they're so happy to be in the, the squad makeup and they have the experienced pros and the regulars who play week in, week out, it would give them that extra boost. So now McTominay playing at the top of his level is probably where we are now, fifth, sixth, seventh. It's not going to take us to second, third, winning leagues, Champions Leagues. And that's okay because you need a, a blend of players in a squad. Um, the point you made on Harry Maguire, again, I think that's just circumstantial. I think credit to Maguire and McTominay because they were both two players that were touted to leave. And they've just kind of knuckled down and probably won their place back. And to credit to them, they performed to probably the best of their ability of what they're being told to do. Because a lot of a lot of how I kind of assess football, and sometimes I think other fans are unfair, is how good is this player? How good do you expect this player to be? And what is the manager asking of them? When I see someone like Rashford putting in basic performances, I kind of compare it to the best of Rashford. I, I've seen you score. Okay, last season was his best ever goal scoring, but in terms of player performance, I think 2021 was probably, I would say, Rashford's best kind of season when United finished second. That kind of level, if if I know you can produce that over a season, then there's no excuse for you to be dropping the basics 
like how you are currently. So when I see a Maguire and a McTominay, I go, hmm, this might be the top level, but the top level of them is not the ceiling of where Manchester United need to be. So I think realistically, the manager needs to probably understand that, but also then at the same time, I kind of do feel sorry for Ten Hag at times because since that kind of 2020, 21, 22 season to now, I was looking at the squad. Someone kind of posted a squad on Twitter looking at Solskjaer because, you know, the revisionism of, oh, Solskjaer would be doing X, Y, and Z. <laughs> just oh, stop it. <laughs> he had so many opportunities to win things he didn't. So just stop that. But I do look at the squad and I do look at the talent level and I think United have lost, I'd say, five, six attackers. If you want to count Pogba and Mata as attackers because sometimes they played higher up. And realistically, we've only signed Anthony and Hoyland. Garnacho has come through the academy. So in a three-year period, you've lost five attackers. And in that five, I'll probably include Martial because his body is just done as well. So we haven't replaced those attacking talents. And then when you compare that to Liverpool, Liverpool lost Mane, they brought in Diaz, they brought in Nunes. They already had Jota when they already had the Firmino, etc. You know, City, okay, they've changed their attack completely, but you go and sign Haaland... He's the best striker in terms of putting the ball in the back of the net in the world. You know, I know Chelsea haven't really done it, but still every team has kind of invested in their attack or they've got players like Arsenal, Martinelli and Saka who are good enough to be, you know, in a conversation where United really haven't done that. And it would paper over the cracks because I still think there'd be issues, but like you see how Hoyland is struggling. You see the likes of Anthony, which I think is probably the biggest red flag and X against Ten Hag's name. That Because the, the, the club wouldn't have gone for Anthony if it wasn't for Ten Hag in charge, which kind of then illustrates the point of saying if there was a structure there, someone would just be able to veto Ten Hag and just say, that's not happening. Like, forget that. We can, like, I see players like Diaby going to Villa for half the money, yeah. doing double, and you think, come on, sensible transfer here, but... Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to carry on. I'm into it. We'll look, we'll look ahead to Sunday, though, and I'll, I'll sort of ask this as, as a two-part question, if you don't mind, because I'm always interested. Like I think this has been the case for, for the past few seasons, to, to be honest, that it feels like every time we've come into a Liverpool versus United game, there's been a bit of a thing of all the pressures off United. Like I remember the, the the big Gary Neville sort of like rousing speech before before the seven 0 at Anfield, where he's like the pressure off off United today. Like they they can go the pressures all on all on Liverpool and all these kinds of things. Do you sort of like do you take that mental approach going into this? And and also if if like if you do think it is is you know maybe a good time to to play Liverpool in the sense you know Liverpool are getting results, but they're not they're not completely impenetrable, especially not at the back. Like Liverpool have you know defensive issues and stuff this season, so. If if you think it is a good time to play Liverpool, like what what do you see as being the way home for for this Manchester United side? I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, historically, United going away to Anfield has very, been very, very tough. Um, I think I saw someone posted the other day a stat that since Juan Mata's two goals at Anfield, and that was in the 2015-16 season, yeah. United have only scored twice. Two goals in, what was that, eight years ago? So you're talking two goals in seven seasons away from home at Anfield. And some of them, okay, okay, Man United haven't been the, the best of teams since then, but some of those teams have really good players and it was really difficult situations. And I can remember, I think it was this being 3 0 nils. There's one with Jose um, Mourinho where Lukaku had one shot all game. Alisson saved. Yeah. I remember Matip cleared up. De Gea saved off the line. There was another 0 nil where United were in a blue kit. Yeah, there's a Zlatan one as well, isn't there? Yeah. I, remember, I remember the blue kit the, one. Yeah. The header. Yeah. That was the only main chance. Um, and yet, at times, United had six at the back. I remember that. And then the other nil-nil was the COVID season, where you had Henderson playing centre-back. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Rashford couldn't stay on side. And if he could, we probably would have won <laughs> quite a few few goals. So those are probably the three standout performances. That Because apart from that... Um, 4-1, Jose got sacked the next day. 7-0, last season. Uh, 2-0, Ranić. Or was that Oli? I think it was Oli. And then, no, 2-0, Oli, and then 4-0, Ranić. Yeah. So you're talking about an average of conceding three, 3.5 goals, um, which is astonishing because I don't think there's any other team that does that to Man United. And that is probably a mental and psychological kind of block on the players so in terms of pressure there's a lot of pressure on the team on the coach especially because of what happened last season I think yeah. if that result wasn't there then it might be a little bit different but because last season and I feel like last season 7-0 is a bit similar to how United have been in Champions League this season it's take the lead or we play well for a little bit of a spell concede one heads go down all of a sudden a second one goes in and everyone's shell-shocked and then before you know it the team just crumbles and I think that's where the tactics then come into it because the manager encourages the team to keep going and try and play up from the back and stuff. You're two or three goals down, you're away at field. That's when you just scrap it and just go, no, we're not going to do that because we're just going to concede. And I think that's what happened last season. As well as some players having the worst games of some, I'd probably say the careers. Like, I don't think I've ever seen Luke Shaw play so, so poorly. I don't know what, I actually don't know what happened to him. Lissandro being hooked. De Gea, well, De Gea is just De Gea, isn't it? So there's no real kind of like respite with him. <laughs> but like, and weird tactical decisions. Like Bruno played on the left that game. He was on his own. I remember Trent was just running up and down and Salah was running up and down. Like, there's almost too many variables 
to put into place for this game to go in United's way. Because on top of that, even if you do get a chance, Hoyland hasn't scored in the Prem, and I expect him to be the one who starts. Rashford isn't playing well, hasn't started the last two. Um, and then again, you're going away to Anfield. The crowd will get on top of you. He's going to probably have to be tracking Trent sometime. I know Trent comes into midfield, but all these kind of factors where I think for the manager, it could what would actually play in the manager's favour would would be, which he won't do because he, he hasn't shown it, is to probably play the younger players. But then again, you play the younger players and you get slaughtered. It's a case of why did you play the younger players? But it's a case of we need midfielders and... I mean, Kobe Maino played against Everton and we haven't really seen him since. I know he played against Newcastle, but again, he was isolated left on his own. And this is a team, This is a game where the tactics where you've got Bruno and McTom ahead of the ball against Liverpool at Anfield, if you, if you concede and I'm even going to extend it to the first 45 minutes, then it's very, very, very difficult. Like evidence shows we don't even score a goal. So... I think the manager probably just has to swallow his pride and just say, listen, today we go pragmatic, we dig in, and you just there's no Bruno. So it's, a, it's actually a chance for him to actually maybe play Mayno and Amrabat and McTominay and just say, listen, you're going to fight and you're going to match up to them and probably not play Rashford. Or if you do play Rashford, you maybe have to play him up front and say, Garnacho, you need to run, and Anthony, you need to run, because you need workers and you need runners. That's the probably, even though they weren't the most talented, two massive players that Oli relied on in these kind of games, and that's why we did well, was Dan James and Fred. And they were erratic, they were clumsy, but they're always going to be running, and they're, they're quick and they're agile, and I think we've lost a lot of that recently. Well, it's going to be a dead interesting game. Me and Tezza could sit here and talk about this forever. We've done 22 minutes, which is which for a Friday show insert is 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 a long time. But uh, but as I say, we we could have, we could have stayed in chat with us forever. Maybe it would Definitely. get more therapeutic as it went on for Tezza, or <laughs> maybe I'd just have a crying mess of a man on on my hands at some point. But um, we'll we'll see we'll see how Tezza is after Sunday. We'll check back in with him at some point in the future. But I'll hand you back now into the studio. TheAnfieldRap.com forward slash gift cards. That's right, it's Neil here. Uh, trying to push the gift cards onto you, foist them onto you. But if you're listening to this, all I can think is that you like what we do. And if you like what we do, I think you will know someone else who likes what we do as well. So a perfect gift for them could be uh, the Anfield Rap gift cards. Three, six and 12 months for them. Uh, in the If you were in the UK, you can still get a physical gift card, uh, which is an Anfield Rap Christmas card. Imagine how beautiful it must be. If you're not in the UK. Uh, it is now a digital-only move regardless. And from Monday, Monday is the last day uh, for orders for the physical ones in the UK regardless. The digital ones will go all the way up to Christmas and afterwards. I mean, you know, gift cards are constant, uh, but the theanfieldwrap.com forward slash gift cards, if you want to pick one up, 3, 6 and 12 months. And it's also important at this hectic time of year to remember that you've got to look after yourself as well. It's important to buy yourself a present to go with everything else and maybe the Anfield Wrap is indeed that present that you've been looking for. So, for us, it's a little bit more optimistic, uh, Josh, uh, but only a little. <laughs> because this is this is a really weird quirk of this fixture, that no matter how great we are playing and how poorly they are playing, I don't think anyone is ever really fully dismissive of them in a way that it would be if we were playing a team with, that, with the same record who weren't called Manchester United. So, playing the team, not the occasion... There's always been an issue in this game. And I think, do you, how do you think we're going to deal with it this weekend? 
so I think the occasion is always more overawing at Old Trafford or it seems to always get to the team a little bit more at Old Trafford. That's been the place where, where we've sort of struggled for, for results in, in this fixture at Anfield. I think the team have, have mostly sort of risen to the occasion. I'd say that that pretty much started from probably the Europa League game un, under Klopp. Like since since that day, the games at Anfield have generally been, you know, Liverpool being on top. And even when it's, you know, the results not necessarily on Liverpool's way, if it's been like, you know, we've had a couple of ball nil-nil draws and stuff that me and me and Tez are referenced on, on, on the insert before as well. Liverpool have had or sort of, you know, been in the ascendancy in, in, in those games. So I'm not sort of too worried about the occasion being much of a factor. Um, I, I guess I always have concerns going into games against like any rival about the wounded animal factor and, mm-hmm. and Manchester United couldn't be any more wounded right now. They're basically old yellow that's been like <laughs> shot loads of times, but he's still just like clinging and clinging on for dear life um, somehow. Um, there's people obviously going into this talking about sacking sack Ten Hag this weekend and, and all those kinds of things. I, I, I do think, I said this on the, on the post-match show last night, I do think there is a scoreline that gets Ten Hag sacked, but I, I'm sort of, I'm almost too close to the game now mm. to be thinking about what that scoreline is because I'd, ju- I'd just take a Liverpool win in, in, in any kind of guys and a strong Liverpool performance really like we can't we can't be looking back at the, at the Union game in, I mean in any sort of way really the fact that I've just even referenced it on this show feels feels too much um, but you know Liverpool have had a few sort of you know sticky performances in, in, in a row now and I'd like to see them you know quite emphatically turn, turn that around in terms of performance level at least well just for full disclosure I should let you all know that I paid about as much attention to that Union game as Trent and Alison and Virgil did. So make of that what you will. Adam, how are you feeling about things? Um, obviously, if you look at the teams, if Liverpool play at their best this season, regardless of their peak peak, I don't think there's anything I've seen from Manchester United that can say they can live with them. It's only really going to be our own um, deficiencies that will stop us from winning this match. That's my feeling. How are you feeling about it? I Yeah, I think, I largely agree with that. I also think that uh, I look. I grew up in the nineteen nineties. Uh, that was my main kind of f- football watching uh, education, and I watched Manchester United just win everything. And I also watched really quite poor Liverpool sides go to Old Trafford and get results every now and again. Um, and I, I don't really agree with the whole, oh, it's a derby, the form book goes out the window. I mean, I don't, obviously there's a debate about whether it's even a derby, but uh, that sort of, you know, th- there's no there's no question that for most Liverpool fans, the two biggest games uh, in the season are Liverpool, uh, are Everton uh, and Manchester United. So there's certainly a bit a bit of me that is is just very, very conscious of of it being... Manchester United coming to Liverpool as a wounded animal and and I've seen a lot of Liverpool fans being very, very cocky about it. And I've also seen a lot of Manchester United fans being absolutely like, we're just going to get battered. It'll make the 7-0 look like, you know, easy, easy town and all that sort of thing. So it, that's the sort of stuff that kind of worries me more than the form of either team. And mm. we've also struggled when teams have decided to put 10 men behind the ball. And I, don't, I you know, saw a thing from Neil on Twitter saying, like, Ten Hag is never going to have a better chance to say to his team, 10 men behind the ball, we hit them on the counter. And that very much, I think, plays to Manchester United's strengths, mm. but it also targets Liverpool's weaknesses. So they're, they're, that's my major concern over it, I think. 
I think that's a fair point. And I think in terms of the way that the fans like, that's always, you're always going to ask in the week, in the week in the build up, how much difference does that make? But the actual tactics, that's where it gets into it. Luke, I'll talk to you about this because obviously the last time Manchester United came to the city of Liverpool, everyone expected them to get battered in that game. And unfortunately they didn't. Um, We talked about the tactics of frustrating, maybe quieting down the crowd. Was that something that you saw from the, this Man United team when they turned up to Goodison? It was, but I think on that occasion it was more our players a bit overawed with the occasion. Obviously, we had all the banners before, the atmosphere, and I think the players sort of forgot, oh, there's a game to be won here. <laughs> yeah. But on the Man United side of that, I think they, they did deal with it well, to be fair to them. Of course, there was a fantastic goal early on in the game by Garnacho, which completely changes the tactics and the course of the game and the atmosphere, but... I think going back to Anfield, obviously after what happened last year, there's not that many different players in the team. So Mm. you've got that mental scar. And I feel like I've already seen this game before. I feel like (laughs) it could be tight early on. Liverpool go ahead and Bruno's throwing his arms about. And then he feels like he wants to give up like he did last year. But But he's suspended, isn't he? He's given up even earlier than usual for this one, yeah. (laughs) I just don't think there's anyone in that United side that you you sort of see like... There's no one that's him. Yeah. There's no one that's going to turn up and say, right, I'm winning this game. Mm. Maybe in the past you've got players like Rooney and like Van Gaal's team where you think, yeah, he's still got a bit about him. There's no one in that team that I think can just stand up to that occasion. You even see Man United, like the pundit, you see like Neville. I see him think last year he put a LinkedIn post up about all about Anfield. So that mm. just shows you if he's thinking about like that and he's never experienced a 7-0 at Anfield, imagine what the players are thinking now. I'm really, I'm really intrigued about the seven nil and about what it does to both teams. Because as Josh, as you mentioned, like Bruno's already cried it in. He's not, he doesn't want any part of this. And after what happened to him last year, I can't blame him. Mm. But can it be a bit of a hindrance in terms of Liverpool when you think about the form of our forwards at the moment? It's not quite where it was. Do you think that that seven nil because a bit too much like expectation, or do you think it can be used as a catalyst to say, look? these are still shit, we can still beat them. It, it, it definitely is interesting. I don't think the 7-0 is, is a hindrance from from Liverpool's perspective. I think it probably becomes a hindrance in terms of, like, I think this this United side are going to turn up to Anfield to try and disrupt Liverpool's rhythm. Um, like, the change I keep picturing happening for, for Bruno Fernandes is that Hannibal comes in, and obviously we saw Hannibal when he came on Anfield last time. He, he was brought on basically just to kick people and yes. to, to almost get the United fans who, who'd stayed in the ground to, to, to have something to, to back the team for. I expect it will probably be, be him that, that comes in it, it, if, if not Mayno, and that will be the way that United sort of look at it is, is almost, you know, we're going to look to really try and frustrate Liverpool, really try and disrupt their rhythm because that's, it sort of almost feels going into it, with, you know, at, at risk of cursing it. Like that is their best chance of of getting something and just hope that Liverpool make mistakes. And, and listen, Liverpool will make mistakes o- over the 90 minutes. We've, we've seen a Liverpool side, particularly in recent weeks, that have not been by any means impenetrable going mm. backwards. As you say, they're not a side who look as, as free-flowing as they were going forwards in, in, in the first few months of the season. Season. It looked like it's a bit of, of sort of tiredness creeping into legs, which, which is to be expected. They're, they're a side who's now had probably, well, I mean, I hope that the, the worst of, of their injury crisis, if, if you want to call it that. Obviously, we've got a bolstered squad to deal with that. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what, what he does in, in terms of selection off, off the back of that. You know, McAllister missing stuff is obviously a few clues in, in the Union game, which I can't believe I've referenced for a second time now. Um, <laughs> but that's that, that's sort of where it does become interesting for me is, is how Liverpool look to tactically approach it. Because I do... I've, I feel like basically Ten Hag 
only really has that one decision because the other decision, which is, you know, if, if he tries to, to stick with the tactics he's stuck with so far, and, and, and again, Tezza referenced it before, it's, it's this sort of, you know, trying to be gung-ho and trying to implement confidence by just having a consistent attacking style. If he comes like that to Anfield, honestly, it could be a cricket score. Yeah, I mean, the idea of that is just gorgeous to behold, but <laughs> I, I don't think that he's as naive as that. Now, Josh mentioned uh, Mikhaz today as one of the players Hannibal thankfully won't be able to kick, uh, unfortunately, because he's still injured. Adam, I'll ask you on this one. Talking about uh, not only just the options we've got in midfield, but also about intent and tactics. Um, having McAllister as a six in this game really felt like it would have been perfect in terms of his ability to be creative. You still mind the shop. Obviously, Endo is his natural replacement within the squad, but you aren't getting as much creativity. Are you happy with that or are you more tempted to look at a Jones in the six to try and replicate some of those creative elements you get from McAllister? I neither. Um, I actually think... Um, <laughs> <Atta> boy. <laughs> um I actually... I, I actually think... I would not be shocked to my core if we saw um, Gomez at right back and Trent effectively playing the six, um, to be honest. That, that, that feels like something that Jürgen's been creeping steadily towards a few times, and mm. now it feels like he's got a chance to... To, to do it kind of it's obviously not a free hit but almost pointing to it and kind of going well what you know there aren't loads of other options because I think it, it, I, I think I like Endo more than more than a lot of people do but I also really like how much money he's won me by betting on him getting booked um, and so like that's that's a given I think if he starts this game I think he's going I think if you can have a, a double on Endo and Hannibal getting booked if they both start I think that that's going to be uh, you know that's going to be the one to do because I think it's going to be the sort of game where that's 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 kind of what's going to happen um, it, it, yeah I, I don't I just don't know I, I just don't know, and I, and I, obviously I, I, I'm not um, sort of trying to wind Luke up when I say this, but I don't know whether the manager's going to treat them with the disdain with which he sometimes treats Everton, where he's just going to be like, we don't need to be worried about this. We can put Endo in the six. We can put, you know, um, Jones in there. They're not. They're just not going to cause us any problems, really, um, and and almost treat it like that. In my, you know, I don't think it's going to be the, the the sort of team that we saw in the the Union game. There's another reference for you, Josh. But but <laughs> you know, you, you, uh, would I be shocked if we sort of all went? Oh, that's a bit of a mad starting lineup. Uh, no, I wouldn't. And I wonder whether the Trent in the six is, it would be part of that. That's interesting. Um, I think the idea of Trent getting into midfield has been coming closer and closer. I wonder whether or not a game as big as this maybe feels like it might be a little bit too much of a risk the way that obviously Trent feels about these Man United games. There's much more pressure, much more emotion around it. And I personally, I think that Klopp's been trying to kind of eliminate the emotion from his midfield play personally. I, I, I think the, the risk becomes for me like Matip's injury now. Like I'd, I'd rather not see Gomez playing fullback because Gomez is it like has to be a centre half option again, mm. and I don't really want to see him wrist on 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 that basis. I think like the Neil was talking about this on on the pink last night. Like the Mickey for me feels like if he does four forwards and he basically decides we're not having a six, we're having Sobersly and mm. and Gravenberg as as just two eights effectively. Like that's that because that would be like sort of what Adam says. Like that would be 
in a way disdainful or at least it would be an acknowledgement that we don't think United are coming here to seriously you know attack us today or have all the ball we just want Sobosla and Gravenberg to carry it from our centre-halves so, like, you'd, you'd basically find a scenario where Van Dijk's basically playing the six because that's how high mm. up the pitch he'd, he'd be mm. and the other two would just be doing the legwork for him yeah I like the sound of that um, Luke I'll come to you on this one finally even though technically you aren't going to be part of the crowd this is going to be our first game with 7,000 extra fans in it and uh, the perfect game for it to happen, it almost brings... If you were going there as an Everton fan and you knew that there was going to be that kind of extra atmosphere there, how did, do you think, does it affect you and do you worry about how it can affect these players, even though these are very experienced players, as we've said? I think I'd be worried about it affecting Everton's players and Manchester United's players because, again, they just don't win at Anfield that much anymore. But I think it's not that big of a factor. I think it's more of a big factor for your fans that mm. oh, there's seven more, 7,000 more of us here. It's you know it's a bit of an event, the opening of a new stand. It's something new, something fresh. But I think the players shouldn't really be affected by that on the, on the pitch. But it's just another little factor to add to it, mm. another little decibel level up for them Man United players to deal with, to be honest. So I mean, you're on our side, right? You you want to you want them to get beat, really? No, I'm don't on you? no one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was doing so well there. No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I, I won't trouble you all for predictions. I think we can do that on another show. Uh, one thing I would ask the two of you, Josh and Adam, though, how we got to the stage now where other teams' results matter in how we feel about our results. So, for example, the teams who we're fighting for the title with: um, Arsenal, Manchester City, Aston Villa. Say, for example, two of those drop points before we've even kicked off. Are you more sanguine about a draw or is is, is it win or bust? I, th- I think it is win or bust without even thinking about those other teams in the sense that like Liverpool are, are a well better team than Manchester United this season and Liverpool should be winning this game. Like, I, like I'm, I'm almost treating this as like, you know, the, the rivalry aspect of it, it doesn't, doesn't leave. Like you can't just discount that. But United are as good as, you know, an Aston Villa turned up to Anfield. And when Aston Villa did turn up to Anfield, I was like, I think Liverpool should win today. Like, and, and, and I knew that, you know, Villa would obviously not start the season as well as, as, as they're going now. But I knew they'd be a tricky team. I, like I thought they'd be trickier on, on the day than, than they were, to be honest, um, because of how much I rate Unai Emery and how much I rate this Aston Villa side. But that's sort of where I, where I land with it, is that I just still expect Liverpool to win, regardless of the other results. The other results might impact how I feel about the, the weekend as a, as a whole. Um, but yeah, not not how I feel about the game specifically. Fairs. I think that um, home result against Aston Villa is becoming the maddest result of the season with every week that goes by. It's almost like it didn't really happen that way. Adam, do you feel the same? I think um, it's. I, I I am full of contradictions over this game because I'm. I think I'm a lot more worried about it than other people are. Although I readily admit that might be more to do with my own sort of history with Manchester United and, and not wanting to lose. And also I'm going to be watching it with one of my good mates who's a Manchester United fan. Um, so I very much want us to win. But um, I also think if you want to win the league and I want to win the league, you've got to beat the shit. And Manchester United this season, away from home against the top sides, are shit. So <laughs> whilst I'm... I'll be really disappointed if we don't win, regardless of what the other results are, because I think... Arsenal will be a very difficult game. Go into Aston Villa, and I think it's our last away game of the season, isn't it? When we play Villa, mm-hmm. so hope you know if we're in a, if we're in dreamland, that result won't matter, but it could. They're the games where you go. Well, if we if we come away from that with a draw, that's okay. If you come away from Manchester United with a draw, even if other teams have dropped points, that just 
give City something to get the 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 teeth you know into. It gives the 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 Spanish Carl Pilkington something to get really excited over, and I'm just not I'm not having it really. I want us to batter them. Yes, no happiness for Spanish Carl. It's John Gibbons with an inter courtesy of football prizes. And my, my, do we have a prize for you this week? It is a Liverpool mega bundle. Uh, that's what they're calling it. And when you hear what is in it, you will certainly agree. Um, involved in this mega bundle, you can win two Liverpool v Arsenal hospitality tickets for the game on the Saturday, the 23rd of December at Anfield. A Zabi Alonso signed Liverpool shirt, a Fernando Torres signed Liverpool shirt, a Steven Gerrard signed Liverpool shirt, Thiago Alcantara signed Liverpool shirt, Alexis McAllister signed Liverpool shirt, Harvey Elliott signed photo, Chamika signed photo, Trent Alexander-Arnold signed photo, and a £50 football prizes site credit. It's amazing. It's basically, if they play for Liverpool, they've signed the shirts and you can win it. Uh, tickets are £9.95 for this one, so a little bit more expensive, but I think you'll all agree it is worth it for a chance to win that. I mean, just the hospitality tickets for that game on the 23rd of December will be fantastic, but you'll have your choice of shirt to wear. Uh, you can wear any of them. Um, put them all up around the house. Uh, give some away for Christmas if you want to be kind. You've got you've got signed shirts uh, to spare. The competition ends on Tuesday the 19th of December at 7.30 and there are only 299 tickets available and in fact 73 of them have sold already. So you need to be quick. Uh, you need to get on it as ever, um, but it is a fantastic prize. So it's footballprizes.co.uk forward slash product forward slash Liverpool hyphen mega hyphen bundle footballprizes.co.uk forward slash product forward slash Liverpool hyphen mega hyphen bundle or just go to the football prizes website you'll find it uh, good luck if what are you win, as always let us know we always like it when I'm feel that plot win but hurry up because this one will sell out thanks to football prizes good luck up the reds okay so let's move on to the Friday night game which is uh, Nottingham Forest against Spurs um, an interesting time for both teams Luke um, Spurs kind of broke their cycle of getting into the lead and losing which is you know the ultimate Spurs thing to do um, how they've had a whole week to kind of live with the joys of their last weekend's result do you think that will help them in this scenario because obviously lots of other teams have had midweek games at this stage of the season it's almost like you have to forget a game as soon as it's ended they've been able to live in this positivity for a whole week now yeah it's obviously that factor that they're not in Europe this season that's affected them in the past but I think there was a bit of, of a bit of a false read nearly on with Spurs in the season. Like everyone was talking of them, like title contenders. Obviously, rightly so, probably because of the fantastic start. But now we're seeing what they really are. To be honest, obviously Ange, he playing attacking football. I think if I was a Spurs fan, I'd be made up with that. But I think what they are team as a team is that a Champions League team, but they're not a team that should be challenging for the league. But that being said, obviously battered in Newcastle four one last week. You can't do any harm for the confidence. And I think obviously the players are fresh. They just don't have that European thing. Obviously the players want to play in Europe, but I think if I'm Ange going in there, it's quite an ideal scenario that you've just got that one game a week to focus on. Mm. Out of the League Cup as well. So you've only got the FA Cup and the League to focus on. And I think that could be a benefit to them this season, yeah. At that stage, at this stage in their development, I think it really does come into to focus. And one thing we saw at the weekend, Josh, in the Newcastle game, is it was Richarlison who got the nod through the middle. And we've seen at certain times it's been Son out on the left and Richarlison through the middle and vice versa. There's lots of debate as to which works better. Obviously, Son is very, very good through the middle. Which one do you think kind of gets the best out of both of them, though? It's... 
it's a tough one, really, isn't it? Like that, the new. I don't know how much you judge off the Newcastle game at the weekend because that was effectively like two really drunk fellas in a bar <laughs> have, have, have a, trying to have a scrap with each other and like ba- barely like. I mean, obviously Spurs land land the punches in the end, but it feels like no one really wins um, because they both just got so many injuries at the moment. Porky and Trippy looks like he's had like a leg transplant or something. He doesn't know. Doesn't like look, look, look like look like he knows how they work. Um, so like Son, Son is just the key to, to to everything like going forward for Spurs isn't he like Son, Son feels like the one where like if you can get him and, and I think he's really excelling as well this season by almost pretending to be Harry Kane and when I say that I don't mean that he's he's you know a worse version of Harry Kane or whatever I mean he's pulling other people in, in, into play. Like, I, I think he's the one who gets the best out of all, all the other forward options. And it almost doesn't matter who you do play with them. I think Richarlison was the beneficiary at, at the weekend. But genuinely, it could be you could put anybody around Son and he's going to find a way to, to pull them into the game at the moment. I just think he is, he's you know, like, I, th- I think it's always been said that he's an underrated, you mm. know, Premier League player. But I think he's a genuine star in the Premier League. Like, like he's like he's right up there. And I think his goal scoring record proves that during his, during his time at Tottenham as well. So he'll sort of be the key to them for this, particularly with the way that I think Nottingham Forest would would set up, even though it'll be at home. They'll want to get the crowd into it. It'll be on on Tottenham's sort of stars like Son, yeah. I, I guess Son being, <laughs> being the sort of the only one really uh, to, to quieten that crowd down early. Well, the hope will be there's not very many Christmas parties going on in Nottingham tonight, Adam, because Josh is right. They will need all of that Friday night energy tonight at the city ground to go up against Spurs. Now, they were able to stop the rot to a certain extent with the draw at the weekend. Uh, But it's a strange situation whereby the fans feel a little bit more happy with the management than the ownership do. And that will obviously only last for so long. But do you think it's a situation where the fans can help him get through this period? Can he get through this period and out the other side? Um, I guess it depends what you mean. If you mean, do I think the fans can keep him in a job long term, then no, because owners will always be the ones that matter and it it only takes a couple of bad results for owners to use that as an excuse regardless of what the fans think can the fans help them get over the line in a, in in games at at the their own ground yeah of course they can you know we as liverpool fans we can't bang on about the power of anfield and stuff and then act as if it's the only stadium in the country where the fans <laughs> can help the players like that's not the way it works like so they can help but I just don't know whether I think they're just really unlucky with with injuries obviously they've got injuries to some key players that is that is causing them problems and and ultimately I think when you're there's a bit of a thing this season I think where basically the three promoted teams are so bad and even with you know even with Luton's sort of good performances against you know Manchester City and and getting a point against us and all that sort of thing that they're, they're still not very good they're that bad that the rest of the teams can be quite shit and actually still not be too worried about getting relegated um and only if like it's dire or or if if Burnley decided to sack Vincent Company, for example, then maybe you look at it and go, oh, okay, that's interesting because somebody could come in there and really solidify what they've got. But the longer the three teams that are down there just keep going with the same thing, which is why the Chris Wilder thing's interesting. But the longer they just keep going with the same thing, the rest of the teams kind of go, we can just write off this season. And I think a little bit that's what Forrest can afford to do. They obviously can't just lose forever, but 
as you say, they stop the rot and there's a there's a world in which they're able to, to kind of turn around now and say, OK, we've stopped the rot. It, it, are we expected to get something against Tottenham? Probably not. But if we could, if we could get out of that with a draw, then mm. that's really good for what's going on this season, for what we actually need to survive. Uh, perhaps. I do personally think the, the the idea that the bottom three are marooned is probably a little bit about six to eight weeks out of date. Personally, uh, Josh, I'll come to you on this one because moving on to the Saturday 3 p.m.'s Bournemouth against Luton, Bournemouth are obviously in fantastic form. But Luton are only five points behind Nottingham Forest. And yes, we'll talk about Everton later on in their great form, but Forest aren't in great form and they are kind of in free fall. And you look at a game, a team like Luton, who haven't really been able to put in a performance away from home. This is, feels like a game where maybe Bournemouth take their eye off it after playing some of the big teams, your Aston Villas, your Newcastles, your Manchester United. Maybe Bournemouth take them a little bit for granted. And this is a, one of those places where Luton can start to pick up points to reel in the lights of Forest. Yeah, and if, you, if you're talking about sort of power of, of stadiums as well, I mean, I know it's called the Vitality. I always still call it Dean Cork because I'm an old head. Um, but like... You don't go to Bournemouth and think like, oh, Bournemouth's going to be like a, a like really righteous atmosphere today or anything like that. Do you like Bournemouth are, are, are a good team? Bournemouth should beat Luton on on paper, but you know f- football's not played on paper, is it? To, to get to get a football cliche in there, I I don't know if the thing about the promoted teams is is six to eight weeks out of date. I think we're sort of seeing just the throes of of a Premier League season at the moment, and you know there's a couple of them who've got a little bit of a head of steam. I guess you know as as Adam said, Luton's is more in terms of performances than than results. Sheffield have have picked up a couple of a couple of results recently as well, and and a, and a couple of good performances. Um, Forest being in free fall for them doesn't doesn't particularly worry me in the, in the sense that I sort of like I always trust that Steve Cooper will just get a grip of that team at some point and he like to to, to use an NBA reference which made you go over everybody's head Steve Cooper is probably the closest thing I see to Tyrone Lou in, in in the Premier League in the sense that I think he's the one who can just tinker within a game and, mm. and and find a formula and find a game plan that 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 works for for you know for his team and I, and I do expect him to do that eventually and I do expect that that sort of quality that they have to tell over the three promoter sides because I, I think I am still with Adam in the sense. I just don't think any any of the three of them have have enough quality. And listen, maybe maybe it doesn't come down to quality. Maybe it comes down to you know Sheffield United can get an atmosphere enough times to win enough home games, and, and that's the thing that tells. Um, I'd be really worried if I was a Burnley or, or a Luton fan. And, and being honest, I'd be worried if I was a Luton fan going into this weekend. Uh, for context for everybody else, Tyrone Lou is the coach of Josh's favourite basketball team. So, yeah, <laughs> if you think he's going overboard there, you are correct. Um, <laughs> but speaking of... Uh, six in a row, come on. <laughs> he also mentioned uh, football cliches, Luke, and Chelsea against Sheffield United feels like the classic. The home game against the bottom side, exactly what Chelsea need right now. But you look from a glass half-empty point of view, if they don't win this game, then suddenly all of the pressure ramps up. Like when you say Chelsea, it still comes into my head like, oh, did Chelsea evolve? Yeah, they'll just steamroll Sheffield United. But then when you think about it, it's like Chelsea fans don't know what Chelsea are going to turn up. Of course, Sheffield United go into that game as an underdog. But I think there's no pressure on Sheffield United to go to Stamford Bridge, really, and no. win. So I think that may open them up a bit. They might be able to play a bit more free-flowing football. And Chelsea's another one of them. They'd be all right for 60 minutes and then the players sort of just say, yeah, I can't be bothered no more. And then <laughs> Paul Palmer's not doing much anymore. They're missing chances. They're just such a strange side to watch. Like You can't name what 11 he's going to pick. Mm. You don't know what style of play he's going to go with. I just think, 
You'd expect a Chelsea win, but a narrow one, if that. That's kind of where I'm leaning as well. Um, Adam, uh, Luke mentions for for Sheffield United, then it, they must be looking forward to this. I think, genuinely, Chris Wilder has had a ball this week. Obviously, they've got the win under their belt, but... This is the freest of free hits in as much as if they go to Stamford Bridge and get beat, no one's going to bat an eyelid. However, he will know that there's this element of fragility, as Luke mentioned, about Chelsea, that he'll be suspect that he'll... I wouldn't be surprised if he's got a game plan to go there and try and get all three points. I think part of it is that it feels a little bit like Chris Wilder and Sheffield United's players are the only people that are going to give a shit about this game. Like it barely, like I just think that Pochettino just has the air of a man who could not care less about what's going on in around him because it because fe- Chelsea feels so dysfunctional. I think he's just there going, mate. This is like PSG. Give me my money. I don't give a shit. I do not care. He, like he never seemed. He, he always seemed to be really het up and, and he, he seems to be quite stressed all the time with Tottenham when he was getting them doing what he's doing. He seems like he might as well be having a spliff at Chelsea. Like he just seems <laughs> so like, honestly, I just don't think he's just so like, yeah, I, oh God, this is oh God, this is terrible, isn't it? Have you seen Mudrick? Look at the fucking state of him. Like I just don't think he cares. He's basically like a man who's got a blank checkbook and has basically said, you're not going to be sacked because you've got a bit of time with this yes. team. That's, that's yeah. what we're seeing. <laughs> exactly. But more than anything else, he's also going, I don't care if you do sack me because you know how much you're going to have to pay me. <laughs> like, it's absolutely meant I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get so much money for doing nothing. And the, the rest of the Chelsea players are going, well, I, wh- why am I bothering? Because there's 15 other lads in my position. Each, Every single one of them are aware that there's loads of other people who can come in to replace them. The... The, there's just so it basically it feels like Raheem Sterling's the only one who seems to care about what's mm. going on. Everybody else doesn't. Uh, I can't really tell with Cole Palmer because he's just got a bit of a weird face, um, and so I'm not <laughs> sure whether he cares or not. The, but so I, it just the, everything's just, That's so, just Cole being mank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's yeah. just got a, a very mancunian face where he and he very clearly breathes through his mouth. So it's all just very like yeah. I, but whereas Sheffield United and Chris Wilder are going to be banged up for it. I don't think they've got the ability in the squad to to do much. But on a, on a if if everything goes their way, if they get a little bit of luck, then yeah, absolutely. And I don't think it takes much for everybody in inside Stamford Bridge to start to get really antsy and and <laughs> sort of turn against the manager and the players and everything else, which is lovely. So this one's either going to be first or last or match of the day. I think we're all in agreement on that <laughs> yeah. score. Uh, moving on to another game with two managers who absolutely do not care about getting the sack, uh, Manchester City and Crystal Palace. <laughs> I'll come back to you on this one, Adam. Um, <laughs> City look like they've had, uh, they've recalibrated after their little wobble, as they'll call it. Um, obviously the result at Luton, but the result in midweek with the kids. Two back-to-back wins. Suddenly they were able to tell themselves a story that we are back to a certain extent. We don't know whether or not Erling Haaland's going to be fit for the visit of Palace, but I'm not 100% sure they're going to need him either way. No, they won't. I I mean, I, I think it's this feels a little bit, a little bit like the season we won the league when... City were just a little bit out of sorts and they were dropping points in games that you didn't really expect them to drop points in. Um, uh, and the 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 reality of the situation is such that they obviously have come off the back of a treble winning season um, for what that's worth. Um, and there's a, there's a real sort of 
thing where that, that I think we found when we nearly won the quadruple, where where you play that many games and you come, you know, you come. We came so close to they actually won that there's just a motivation problem, and the just is. And Guardiola can be do his all of his old. Oh my God, nobody respects us shtick as much as he wants to. <laughs> but it, at the end of the day, that they should win virtually every game they play because they've got 115 charges against them and created a team by cheating the rules of the Premier League. So they should win all of these games. The only thing that I have any fear for them over in this game is the Hodgson algorithm, which needs to kick in. Hmm. It's an interesting thing about the, the Hodgson algorithm, as as um, as he calls it there. Um, I think for Crystal Palace, they're already having to start thinking about the post-Hodgson era. Luke, I've seen some Palace fans online looking like they were trying to attract Graham Potter, despite the fact that he was obviously the manager of their fierce rivals. Now, you have some experience of this through the Rafa Benitez era. Uh, so I'll just ask you, just kind of a, a hypothetical on this one. Do you think, were it to come to place that Potter ends up at Palace, do you think the fans will be able to look past the Brighton stuff and just see him as a good manager to take the team forward? Well, he doesn't have the fact that he's won a European Cup out, out there, does he? Like, <laughs> but, but yeah, um, I don't want to disrespect that rivalry because I, I don't know enough about it, to be honest. But obviously, if you're going from a rival club to another club, it, it's never going to start well. We've seen it in the past with like Steve Bruce, people like that. Mm. But, you know, like a few wins and it does turn. I think we're a bit different up here. Evertonians are a bit different. We don't, we're never going to accept him. And I think it was because of the thing he said about us being a small club. But anyway, but I think with Hodgson, it just seems stale straight yeah. away. And and people, are, like you see it now on interviews, people are asking, oh, how long is he going to go on for? But oh, it's almost like that's now getting into his head as well. Like he's saying things about the fans and, and expectations, but he just doesn't need to say. It's not beneficial for anyone. And I think obviously we've seen with the results and when Eze is not fit, they just don't seem to offer anything. Obviously mm. the game against Liverpool, they, they were all right for 80 minutes, but... They still didn't get through. They still didn't get that result. And I think things are start, starting to go south quickly for them. I think we've all got someone in our family over the age of 65 who should be nowhere near a microphone. So <laughs> <laughs> I won't go any further than that. And we'll move on to the last of the three o'clocks, uh, Newcastle against Fulham. Josh, Newcastle are desperate for football to feel fun again. It's been a right on slog for them for quite some time. Like no players, uh, games every five seconds. And obviously the disappointment of going out of Europe completely. And then here come the most informed team in Europe of full up on the back of five and two back to back five nils. How badly do they need an easy home banker here? Uh, uh, badly, to be honest. Like it, it, it's dead funny. Like I'm in that it is dead funny because basically Newcastle have become a really, really unlikable football club in, in the sense that I think they were pretty resoundingly liked at least by like the north of England I think <laughs> like I don't I don't know what the south felt about Newcastle but but Newcastle pre all this madness um would seem to be quite well liked and now it doesn't seem like anybody really wants Newcastle to have fun and maybe that's just because they were having fun and, and, and not enough other people were and people don't seem to like that as, as we've sort of well found out in, in in Liverpool's case down the years but yeah suddenly it's, it's really not been in fun for them and the Fulham thing is so funny because like I've, I've now referenced this on a couple of shows but um 
I basically said on the on the team talk before we played Fulham, I was like, they got, they got three goals the weekend, so that will basically be their lot for the season, and they're, they're, ne- they're never going to score a goal again now <laughs> because they just didn't like a team who knew where goals came from, and suddenly they're a team who like I wish we scored as many goals as Fulham do. <laughs> I wish we could flip those tables from from mm. that moment on because yeah, they they just do suddenly seem like a team you're having fun again, and that's you know that's with the context of the fact that the, the fans been basically protesting against the, yeah. the sort of you know, the ticket prices and, and and I guess the ownership in, in a general sense throughout throughout the whole season as well. Um, Newcastle just need a, a few players back fit. <laughs> like the, the, before we played Newcastle in the season, all the radio talk and, and the press talk and the build-up, and I, I don't know why they, they do this around. Well, they seem to do this around nation-state teams. I don't know if it's a thing to just sort of drum up fume. But they were going, oh, and Newcastle the main title rivals to Man City. And I watched Newcastle in the game against us, and I thought. If that's a team with the with the sort of lack of attacking talent or just sort of star quality up top, like why would anybody worry about them as, as genuine title contenders? And you're seeing it now. Like Anthony Gordon, I, th- I think has been great this season. I think he's he's a player with a really high ceiling, but he is effectively Newcastle's best attacking talent. And that to me is not a team who mm. who who are challenging for a title. That's a team who you know they may well creep in, into the top four again. That that you know that that race for top four could be another bum fight if anything bad happens to Aston Villa. I don't expect it to. So I think that the top four could be pretty much set from this point. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm. I'm I mean, I'm not concerned because I'd love it if Fulham mm. beat Newcastle the weekend. I would love it. <laughs> I'll tell you, like, oh, a nice little Kevin Keegan reference, yeah. a man who managed both teams and he would probably actually be supporting Fulham on this one because, <laughs> I mean, they are the hot team and he does like to support a winner. Speaking of supporting winners, we talk about Burnley against Everton. It's John Gibbons for the Anfield Wrap with a partnership courtesy of NordVPN. NordVPN have partnered with us before and we're delighted they are doing so again, not just for their support, but also because they offer loads of benefits to the football fan like yourself. There's lots of benefits to sign up to NordVPN, including, of course, watching sporting events, TV shows or films which aren't available in your region by switching your virtual location to a country which is showing the events. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but a few of our games aren't on telly this season, but they are on TV somewhere, and you can find them by switching your virtual location. That's obviously one of the benefits of a VPN service like Nord, but they are one of the best around, and lots of reasons why, including that they protect your private data, like bank details, passwords, and online identity. Uh, with one click, you're able to switch your virtual location to another country, which also allows you to save money by purchasing flights, hotels, and subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price. Now, I do need to point out that the Anfield app subscription is the same price in every country, but others aren't, and that includes hotels and flights as well. So you can have a little look around and see what deals you're able to do yourself there. Uh, personally, for, for me, uh, a big one with NordVPN is knowing that my data is protected when I'm traveling abroad and using public Wi-Fi uh, wherever I am in the world and know that I'm protected from viruses, uh, from malicious malware and phishing sites. It's also the fastest VPN in the world, which is important for what I'm sure you're going to use it from. No buffering or lagging while streaming, uh, which is the last thing you want when you're watching live sports. You want it to be a smooth process, don't you? Especially when you're watching the Reds. And they are able uh, to provide that for you. It is the same price as one cup of coffee a month and your account can be used on up to six devices. So if you want a huge discount of your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash TAW. That is nordvpn.com forward slash TAW. That code will give you four additional months free on top of the two-year plan. 
and they're also they're that confident that you'll enjoy the service, they'll offer you a 30-day money-back guarantee. So that place to go again is nordvpn.com forward slash T-A-W. The link can also be found in the episode description box wherever you listen. Enjoy, and thanks a lot to NordVPN for partnering with us again. Now that was only a slight little dig. <laughs> we don't know who's going to be the winner. Of I this think game. Luke, Luke was far too nice about that. To be honest, I'd have been throwing chairs in the break there. <laughs> but no, no, I, I kind of gave you that little one because now we're going to talk glowingly about Everton for about ten to fifteen minutes. So you'll be fine. Um, the cameras are off now. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> to my to my mind, they're doing exactly what they needed to do, which is making all the talk about the deduction irrelevant. They are getting there on the pitch and they are producing results that made everyone think they're probably not going to get relegated anyway and now we're beginning to see that in fruition i just think it's galvanized everyone throughout the club from the tea lady to the players to to the fans to the manager to kevin farewell the director of football it's just everyone's now pushing in in the same direction and it hasn't been like that for a good while i can't mm. remember the last time where everyone's working in unison but now it's like let's put everything else to the side and let's get through this together but we're more than getting through it. We're winning games, especially away from home. Like I can never remember an Everton side. I don't think we've won three in a row away from home since oh three oh four. Wow, I, exactly. And I was free then, so um, <laughs> that shows how long ago it was. But we just have this style where people might might say it's boring to be. It's a bit of a lazy um, observation to say Sean Dyche is just a traditional manager. But when you watch it every week, that there's a method to it. Mm. It's we, we sit back, we absorb pressure, but we don't get picked off while we're absorbing pressure. As soon as we turn over possession, McNeil's flying, Harrison's flying, whoever's playing up front, whether that be better or Calvert-Lewin, and then Decore's in behind. It's like it's almost like they know what they're going to do straight away. Mm-hmm. And We haven't had that on an Everton team. You've seen under Lampard, you're looking at a Lampard team and you're thinking, what are you really trying to do here? And then we're playing out from the back sometimes and it's the players weren't good enough at the time. Mm-hmm. But I just think at the moment... I don't feel like we're in a relegation battle. Obviously, we should be about 10th on 23 points, whether we get it back is another matter. But I think even if we don't get the points back, we'll still finish mid-table comfortably. Sure, you'll be looking at Europe soon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, it's it's interesting the way you, listening to you talk about the team there. And I think about when Dyche first came in, everyone just always, always automatically assumed it was going to be a really defensive kind of team. The, the one thing it can do is make them solid, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, Josh, I look at, Sean Dyche is a manager who looks at the squad he's got and works out what's best for them. And I think we've got to a stage now where he's like, okay, well, we've got two centre-halves who are very good at being uh, progressive in terms of getting balls out of the way. We've got uh, forwards who are maybe injury-prone at least, but the gold is in that midfield there. And obviously he knew all about Dwight McNeil, but... There, I say it, DeCorey was nearly out of the club before he came there, so, and he's turned him into their best player. The, the, the thing is, like, I, I, it sort of gets, forget, gets forgotten at, at Burnley that Dice tried to make Burnley a more progressive football team, and, and the problem was it felt like he'd gone too far away from his from his principles. Like, I, I sort of look at DeCorey, and I was almost like the Stephen DeFore signing at, at, at Burnley. Like, that was Dice's attempt to be like, we're going to play with a, a proper number 10 here. We're going to try and play football through him. And, and listen, it... it it didn't really work for them and they were, they were still sort of in relegation battles. But that's what you see in Everton. You're seeing this is a sort of more progressive, like Dyche ball. It's it's still the, the direct wingers, as 
Luke was saying in, in sort of Harrison and McNeil and, and, and playing through them, it's, you know, bigger lads up, up top in terms of Beto and Calvert-Lewin, but lads who are, you know, clearly adept with the ball at their feet and can bring others into into the game. And then the core is just absolutely thriving. Like every time I, I watch Everton at the minute, every time I like see something of Everton on, on, on Twitter or on Instagram or whatever, it just looks like the core is having the absolute best time being an Everton player. And there's, you know, that as, as much as we can all sort of crow about Everton and do all those things, it's quite nice to watch fans and football players in, in, in enjoying football mm. and that's the main thing I see with, with, with somebody like Decor at the moment I obviously hope they don't enjoy the match too much the weekend no offence Luke um, I, do, I, do, I do hope it is, it, it is a Burnley win it's sort of interesting that that is, that is the, the Dyche element going into this because you're looking at a, a really progressive Burnley team now but it, it seems to me like a really progressive Burnley team who, who are basically ripe for the picking for, mm. for an Everton team in the mood they are Yeah it is interesting like you mentioned um, Everton flying there uh, Adam, I think about Decore and I think about uh, Tim Cahill and I think about Marouane Fellaini and I think about those other kind of midfielders who just took on a goal threat and just led the team forward. Um, and it does look like they're trying to get into that vintage now. I almost I almost mentioned Ross Barkley, but yeah, you know. <laughs> um, but as Josh mentions, it is an emotional night for the manager uh, going back to Turf Moor and the club that the, not only had he built the team, he built the club there. He was so influential in the, the, establishing them as a Premier League force. Um, the kind of thing that he's hoping to do at Everton, do you think now that he's actually got a chance of being able to put roots down and build the club in his image in the same way he did at Burnley? It's a good question. And I, I think if you'd have asked me it, maybe when they first, you know, when he sort of first arrived and all the rest of it, I'd have said no, because I just think that as much as we you know as much as liverpool fans like to take the piss out of the blues and everything they are you know they they expect their team to play football in in a certain way and that was never dice football you know as as far as we were all concerned but actually he does seem to have kind of changed his own approach to things and he does seem to be getting them to play in a way where they are having big results and exciting performances and and it, it is the kind of thing where you could go you know well maybe maybe they're both learning from each other um and everyone's growing together in one big happy family <laughs> and i think what what would be interesting for me i think is this feels like a game that will tell us a lot about where this Everton side actually is. Because if I've learned anything from Everton over the years, it's that when everybody's having fun and happy, they lose a game that they should win. Um, and, and everyone starts to get a bit annoyed about stuff. So this feels like the game that the Everton of old would have lost. A little bit like that Luton, the Luton game at Goodison that they lost earlier this season where you're like, how have you lost to them? They're shit. It feels a bit like that where it, uh, old Everton probably lose this game and everyone gets really annoyed and really disgruntled and and the feel-good factor dissipates. Mm. I don't think they're going to. I think this is a kind of almost a new-look Everton um, and I obviously say this slightly tongue-in-cheek, and Luke will know far better than I would, but I'm looking at the Everton fans protesting against the Premier League over this 10 points deduction, and I can't believe they're not writing thank you letters that they did it this season rather than a season when it would have mattered. <laughs> like, I, it's absolutely... I think they should be getting balloons out because th- this is the best time in Premier League, arguably Premier League history, that they could have been given a 10-point deduction. Can Sean Dyche build, uh, uh, build a club? He can. I think he can, but it needs to be in a very different style to the one that he built at Burnley, which mm. is not what Evertonians would be happy with. They don't want to see that. 
Well, I'm sorry about all this, Luke. I thought it was going to be 10 minutes of joy, and Adam's completely pissed all over <laughs> No, I'm saying I think they'll win. I'm saying I don't. I think this is a new, a new look Everton. I just hope I think it is. I think a big point with this is um, Bramfrey's suspended, and so is Dries Garner Gay. And I think Bramfrey's been pivotal this season. We've got we've got that solid centre-half in Tarkowski, but we've got more of a progressive centre-half that can bring the ball out. Fred mm. balls into Calvert-Lewin and into the wingers but obviously him being suspended means um, Michael Keane or Ben Godfrey has to come in personally I'll go with Michael Keane I can't believe him saying that to be honest <laughs> but I just think his partnership with Tarkowski is a little bit more solid than uh, Godfrey he hasn't played with Tarkowski much but that is a massive worry because we've been so solid at the back but I just think I can't see Michael Keane getting through 90 minutes without making a mistake to be honest I mean maybe you just get him to put a Burnley shirt on underneath his Everton shirt he was good when he was <laughs> a turf more previously we'll have to wait and see on that one now uh, full disclosure listeners we are rapidly getting through this day because there's got <laughs> loads of shows lined up for you so we're going to have to be very quick with the Sunday shows I'm going to rip through West Ham and Wolves and Brentford Villa because I want us to get a little bit of time to talk about Arsenal and Brighton so the Brentford Villa I'm going to ask you all three of you a one word uh, a question I want a one word answer are Aston Villa in the title race Luke I'll start with you potentially all right, that's still one word. You got away with that, Josh. Yes, Adam. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Brevity is really the point here, mate. Um, <laughs> I'm saying yes because I, I I like I like a bit of a danger, and I think. Well, that's more than one good. word. <laughs> I'm the, look, I'm the host. I'm allowed to have more than one word. You dickhead. <laughs> so. Let, 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 let's move on to West Ham against Wolves. Uh, West Ham got the job done in midweek uh, against Freiburg, so they are top of the group, um, happily able to think about um, Europa League football come the other side of Christmas. For Wolves, um, it's a little bit of more of a roller coaster at the moment, but Luke, as, as we've kind of said with previous clubs, they have more of a buffer than they would do in normal seasons. Do you think this is one of those where over the course of the season they will pick up enough results to be okay? Yeah, I think they're one of them clubs, you sort of put Fulham in the same category where they're too good to go down, but they're never really pulling up any trees, they're never really getting into Europe anymore. It's sort of, you, sometimes you might not even know who the manager is at times. It, <laughs> it's it's just one of them teams that don't seem to get that much coverage. I don't know if it's, it's not in a trendy part of, of the country or mm. it's not something that means a lot to us, but I think they'll be fine, Wolves, but they're one of them teams where it's, yeah, you'll win one, you'll draw one, you'll lose one, then you'll win one. It, it's similar, West Ham are similar in that vein in a way, but I think with Wolves, they'll be fine, they literally will just be 12, 13th this season, but in terms of West Ham, it's sometimes some weeks they turn up, some weeks they don't, it's they're a little bit better at home, but there's always the question marks over David Moyes, I see from on Twitter, certainly, from their fans, it's almost like they're waiting for the bad results just mm. so you can attack Moyes, and I think, he deserves a bit more respect for what he's done at West Ham, to be honest, especially with the, with the European Cup win last season. Yeah, 100%. They deserve all the respect. Hopefully, they'll win at the weekend and lose in midweek. So, before <laughs> we get to go, we'll have a little bit of a dig at Arsenal versus Brighton. Um, the interesting thing for me, Adam, I'll start with you on this one, is that Arteta actually went quite strong midweek against PSV in a game that really didn't matter. And then, when they weren't winning, he brought on the cavalry. Uh, the likes of Odegaard, Rice, uh, Jesus off the bench. So are you thinking for Arteta the rhythm of these players is more important or is it one of those things where he's trying to foster the mindset that every result matters, every game matters? Yeah, it's good. 
it, what it feels like is that he didn't really learn from last season because what happened last season was that he kept on going with his strongest team pretty much all the time and the legs fell off them towards the end of the season and he doesn't really f- seem like he's learned anything. Um, uh, but I, there's something about Arsenal this season that I find really confusing because I... I just didn't think they were playing very well. I didn't think they were doing very well. And then I looked up and they were top of the table. And I, I couldn't really get my head around it. It was really, really straight. It just felt very strange. Um, I don't... I, I, there's all... As I say, oftentimes, football makes fools of us all. And it's entirely possible that this gets clipped and I, I and made to humiliate me at the end of the season. Um, but I... Uh, like I just don't think Arteta is a particularly good manager. I think he's just fine, but I don't think he's a title-winning manager. Um, and you know, yeah, maybe that's my you know you don't do anything with kids. But I've got bad news for everyone. I'm not very easily embarrassed. <laughs> no, I, I can very much concur with this. It takes a lot. Uh, but the idea that we could trust me that will be clipped and sent. <laughs> uh, Josh. Last time Brighton tamed to the Emirates, they won handsomely, 3-0, at a time when uh, their title challenge was falling apart. Obviously, it's a very different Brighton team to the one that turned out. I believe seven of the 14 who featured in that 3-0 win uh, are either injured or sold, including all three goal scorers. But there's enough in there that Deserby will feel like he can go there with a similar game plan, if not the same personnel, and maybe do them some damage. I just think you'll do well to get all those Brighton players out of the crowd from last night, to be honest. Like, they're, 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 there's there's going to be probably some sore heads around Brighton this morning, yeah, yeah. I, I imagine. Joe Pedro is not going to be playing yeah, this game. Yeah, um, I, 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 can, I can't really see anything other than, than a pretty easy Arsenal win, to be honest. like the, the, This is the one I was I was looking at the week, of the weekend sort of results and, you know, City against Palace as well. Like it, it, That's sort of almost why I preluded the United thing before with like, let's not look at the other results this weekend because I just, I, all I can see here is an easy Arsenal win, to be honest. And I mean that with no disrespect at all Brighton but they've had a big week <laughs> <laughs> they have had a big week and, and to be fair I think they're in the situation now where league form is suddenly not a, as quite as important as it had been previously but for Arsenal that's very much not the case well we've got through plenty there and there's still plenty more on the cutting room floor of my agenda that we didn't get to that I'll save for next <laughs> Sorry time about that. <laughs> but no no hey there are time waits for no man uh, particularly when you've got Adam Smith on the show so Adam thank you Josh thank you Luke thank you Natalie thank you Tessa thank you and finally all of you thank you Sports Social Podcast Network <laughs> 